Well, good day and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman. You know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. The program is designed really for someone like me because, you know, there's a lot I just don't understand. Not necessarily something earth-shaking. It might just be something that's been bothering me for a while. And I find that rather than sitting down and getting into a deep chapter and verse discussion, sometimes a front porch talk is the best way to understanding. And that is what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions via email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850 or if you're in the same, that's in, including in the Metro East area or anywhere in the lower 48, toll free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Lawrence, welcome back to the show. Yes, it's good to be back. How are you? Oh, I tell you, I've been sweating out this uh, <laughs> this COVID-19 thing. Boy, we have really had an eventful month. And uh, yeah. it's one I think that, yeah, it's it's uh, literally a soul-shaking thing. I think over and above, we had the uh, COVID-19 virus and all the problems that that's caused. We have that horrible situation with George Floyd being killed by the police officers and the ensuing riots. Now, President Harrison has actually issued a statement on it. He does not mince words. I'm going to quote from the first (laughs) line here. No, he does not. No. (laughs) No. He says, discriminatory treatment of human beings on the basis of race is irrational evil, and it results in evil. That's just the first sentence of that. Now, I think you and I are perhaps in a better position to examine this than are many other Lutherans. Reason being, I'm white, you're black. Yeah. And our congregation... (laughs) I noticed that first thing about you. (laughs) And our congregation is mixed. I think it's predominantly African-American, but it is definitely mixed. So we have experience, and you especially have got experience, in dealing with this. this. Yes, this mixed um, congregation. Um, And, uh, you know, (laughs) I tell you, you know, know, when I got the call to to St. James, that was one thing I noticed right away that it was indeed um, a mixed congregation, and uh, you know um, they called me uh, a black Lutheran pastor. So um, you know it uh, it was an indication to me that uh, you know we have come pretty far in race relations, even within the Missouri Synod. You know, for that, uh, for for congregations to do that, because I think there was a time when most of our, most of our congregations um, more experienced uh, a kind of a segregation. In fact, when I was in New York, um, I still remember parishioners uh, uh, talking about what they called the the white flight. Um, mm-hmm. You know that when when African Americans started to move into the neighborhood. And started coming to the the Lutheran Church. Um, there was a tendency for the Germans to to move and go someplace else until the congregation eventually just became all African American. Um, so there has always been that kind of a segregation going on. But 
um, for uh, St. James to a mixed congregation to call, um, me, you know, me, I realized that we have come quite a distance even in uh, race relations in, um, in Missouri Synod. In fact, there was a time, and I've heard this, that um, um, African-Americans who were studying for the ministry um, didn't actually study at, at Concordia Seminary or Concordia Theological Seminary. There was a, a separate school where they were sent um, to study. Um, and uh, we have come a long way there, too, because I don't think they have that school anymore for African-Americans. If you're an African-American studying for the ministry in Missouri Synod, you have the option of going to either Concordia Theological Seminary or Concordia Seminary. And that's where I studied. I studied at Concordia Seminary. And when I was at Concordia Seminary, I think there were about four or five of us um, that are, you know, of African descent. And uh, so, you know, we have come a long way even there, too. So, you know, President Harrison, um, you know, doesn't mince words. And uh, um, I think, you know, he's probably not the only one that is um, pushing that agenda so that things have changed even quite a bit, even within our Missouri Synod. And that's good. That's for the good, you know, that's for the better. You know, we shouldn't well, that's um, what have reformation is all about. going on. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, Harrison quotes a lot of scripture in this article to to uh, to highlight it. For example, he says here, God's word rejects racism, and then he quotes from Romans chapter three, 20, verse twenty-three: "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and then no one is righteous, no one." And then he goes into the the story of the good Samaritan, which to me is a right. specific refutation of of any kind of discrimination. Right, because um, even in even in um, that time, there was uh, there was discrimination going on between the Jews and the Samaritan. They hated each other. Um, they hated each other to the point that um, just to uh, badmouth Jesus, they would call him a Samaritan. You know, um, so yeah, there was a lot of discrimination going on there too. In fact, um, one of the outreach that Jesus did was to a a Samaritan woman at a well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, you know, she and she she called him on it, too. She go, how can you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan woman, you know, and asking me for a drink, you know? Um, So, you know, um, so that was a good passage to use to point out that um, discrimination is not something new, um, you know, where you hate, where one group hates another, that, um, you know, is, is not something, is something that it is clearly sinful and something that we should oppose um, at all times, whether it is between, um, you know, black and white or uh, sometimes I experienced it when I was in high school. Sometimes it was just um, African-Americans against West Indians or something like mm. that. In fact, sometimes it was West Indian against West Indian. You know, because um, I am from a British West Indian island, Jamaica, and the people from Haiti were from a sort of a, a French West Indian island. 
And so even sometime in, in high school, the, the Haitians and the Jamaicans didn't get along. And you go, wait a minute, you know, you know, we're all from the, the we're, we're both black, we're both from the West Indies, you know. But they find reasons somehow to dislike each other because of where you come from or, you know, your language or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's a discrimination is definitely not something new, but uh, it is clearly wrong. And, uh, you know, we should call anyone out who does it, whether it is between West Indians or whether it is between um, black and white or, you know, any group. You know, sometimes you find what they call anti-Semitism, people who are against mm. Jews, you know. So that kind of discrimination, um, yeah, we've got to see it as, you know, racism, and uh, and realize that it is sinful. It happens. You it know. is, absolutely. It goes back, really, as far as Cain and Abel. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you want to get down to it there. Uh, but yeah. I'm glad that the that the Missouri Senate is, is, is advancing in this area, and I'm regretting that we lacked so much in that, that we lacked, that we were behind in some of the efforts. Uh, I look at our... Uh, our friends in the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church who have made enormous inroads into the African-American community. What are they yes. doing right that we're not doing? And, 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 that's, and that's interesting. I think they have been more outspoken on racism. Um, it's not that uh, Missouri Synod was in favor of it, but I think a Missouri Synod historically was not as outspoken as uh, some of like the Roman Catholic, because I grew up in Jamaica in the Catholic schools. And uh, one of the things about Catholicism was they would come into your island and they would, first thing they would do is set up schools for children. And so, you know, you went to a Catholic school, especially if you were poor and uh, you were taught Catholicism. So I think they did more in terms of um, reaching out to to blacks or people of other um, country more than Missouri Synod um, has done. Um, so, but I'm glad we are making some some changes, and you you get that outspokenness now from uh, from, from President Harrison on the topic. But you're right. We you know we should have done we should have done more earlier. You know we should have done more earlier because when you look in the Catholic Church, even some of their their bishops and cardinals are are of African descent or Africans or blacks. In fact, we had a, a black archbishop in Jamaica um, for many years. So they've done a lot more in the area of um, making the church um, more united in terms of, um, you know, when Jesus said, um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey all that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is really the mission of the church. And uh, so when, you know, when, you know, the Baptists are or the Catholics have done more in that area, um, they're to be commended. But also something to bear in mind, too, that um, in some of the other Protestant um, faiths, the, a lot of them did own slaves, too, in, you know, during mm -hmm. the time of slavery. And oh, because yes. um, a lot of them owned slaves, then 
the slaves really got their religion from from that particular denomination. Now, in fact, a lot of uh, a lot of these people actually even quoted scripture to justify slavery. To justify it, exactly, you know, and a lot of them owned slaves, so you know, a lot of the slaves end up taking the denomination or the faith of their slave masters. Whereas, on the other hand, I don't think. Um, Slavery was practiced as widely in Missouri Synod. And so, you know, a lot of African-Americans did not learn Lutheranism from their slave masters because many of the, you know, the slave masters were not Lutherans. Um, So to some degree, I could say that that is to Missouri Synod, Missouri Synod's credit because they did not uh, practice slavery as much as some of the other denominations um, in the past. Um, well, one thing to bear in mind, uh, you know, uh, the Missouri Synod was founded in, I believe it was 1847. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of course, the Civil War broke out about 13 years later. Now, Missouri itself was a slave state. And it yeah. remained so until the end of the war. Uh, but the LCMS, as you pointed out, the, the Lutherans probably were not really big into that. Uh, in fact, no. there was a there was a, a, a German riot, German American riot in St. Louis to keep Missouri into the Union, and a lot of the early LCMS uh, pastors were much more concerned with German immigrants, right? And those were yeah. Were, were yeah, and they were mostly in the in the Midwest and the upper and the upper tiers, which were free states, and so I think you're quite correct. Is that the uh, LCMS people on the whole were not were not slave owners, but they did not, unfortunately, try to carry that message to others. Uh, you know, there was even a uh, there was even a fight uh, early, fairly early in the Senate uh, about right. whether or not uh, the gospel should be preached in English. Right. Yeah, they were not as outspoken as they should early. In fact, you're right. They tried to um, keep their worship in German um, for a long time. And then you had this group that called themselves the English uh, Synod in fellowship with Missouri Synod that really started to do outreach um, among other ethnic groups and other race groups like the African-Americans. And that's why you find the English district today is is one of the non-geographical districts. You can find an English district church in just about just about every district. Um, in fact, when I served in New York, New York was is technically the Atlantic district, but the congregation I served was an English district um, church in the Atlantic district area. Ah. Um, so, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, you had um, the group that wanted to go out and, and um, uh, teach the correct faith to people outside um, the Germans. And, uh, um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> there was something that happened, I remember, in the past where they tried to dissolve the English district because they're saying that, you know, we all speak English now. We don't need an English district. And the English district fought for their existence. We go, well, we were the first to, to reach out to English-speaking people. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we, we have a right to exist. Um, so, yeah, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, so I guess, you know, you know, I guess what I'm driving at, too, is the, the outspokenness that didn't come early enough. 
Um, yes. I wish more had been done early enough, but um, it is being done today. Um, and you see it with President Harrison. And in fact, a lot of my colleagues, when you when I sit with them and, and talk with them, um, you find that a lot of them are very much opposed to to racism or any kind of discrimination. In fact, you know, we <laughs> I did my vicarage at um, Reformation in Afton, which at the time was you know an all white congregation, I think still is. And I had a very good bishop in 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 Pastor Pelsu, um, and the congregation was very nice, was very welcoming um, of me and my my family. And uh, that was an all white church, I think, still is, and we were well received there. So I think we have come, you know, a long way, even within Missouri Synod, uh, when it comes to um, race relations. They've come a long way. A lot of our, well, our uh, I think our missionary efforts overseas certainly reflect that we've made enormous uh, strides in uh, in Africa. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think, uh, in fact, I think there are more Lutherans in uh, Madagascar than there are in the United States. <laughs> you know, I keep hearing that. He, my good friend Vogel, that um, works with CTCR, um, he's uh, always up to date on these things. And uh, I had lunch with him a couple of times, and he would tell me things like that. He would go, you know, there are more Lutherans in Africa than in America. Mm -hmm. You know, there are probably <laughs> more Lutherans in Ethiopia than in America. And I go, that can't be. And he goes, yes, it is. In fact, my good friend um, Bowie uh, went to um, do uh, went to teach in Ethiopia um, on two occasions in one of the schools they have there. Uh, so, yes, there are just so many Lutherans. In fact, um, I made a couple of friends with uh, some of these uh, um, African Lutherans from, like, Uganda or Kenya or Nigeria. In fact, um, the missionary to Jamaica, my country, is, is a Nigerian. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's Lutheran, and a couple of them that I have made friends with online— um, in Uganda, they're all Lutherans. So, yeah, there is quite a number of um, the Lutheran churches growing internationally um, mm -hmm. in that sense, which is, uh, you know, one of the good things about my, my mentor and good friend Vogel. He is always such an international guy, you know? Um, he really you know, is. We were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were amazed that, um, you know, that he even came to New York. Um, after seminary, and uh, we used to rib him a little bit about it, but we got to be good friends, and you know, um, he's quite well, you, an international person. Well, you know, back when I was in grad school, uh, we had uh, a lot of foreign students were involved in the uh, in the journalism program, and there was one fellow there about, from Ghana, and by golly, the guy was a Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> And we became pretty good friends, you know. <laughs> and he eventually rose to head the uh, to head the Lutheran Church in Ghana. He just recently stepped down and retired, but it was it was an interesting and inspirational thing for me to run into this man from another country, from another race, completely different culture, and yet we shared the same faith. Yes, 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 yes. Um, that's amazing. Yes. When you can see that. But, you know, also, I think even right here in America, 
you know, this, um, I am bothered by this, um, by a lot of the protesting that I'm seeing and the rioting. And, you know, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that when I look at all the protesters, I see sometimes just as many whites as blacks. I've noticed that too. This is different from other uh, from other moments, I think. Yes, but where is the systemic racism when you see just as many whites protesting this unjust killing as you see blacks protesting it? Good point. It makes Good me point. it makes me wonder if this this narrative about systemic racism if it is accurate. Well, I've always thought it wasn't, but but I'm white, you know, and people say, hey, you're white, so how can you tell? (laughs) You know, and... But uh, but, but I'm black and I can tell, because when (laughs) I look at the protesters, I see just as many whites protesting this unjust killing as I see blacks. And I go, then, this thing, this, this narrative about systemic racism can't be right. Um, because I think most Americans, black and white, I think most Americans are opposed to slavery. You know, I think what they are trying to do, you know, this whole, what they call, and I guess I can say it because they, you know, there's this pushing of what they call white guilt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's as if the, the whites today should bear all the burden and all the guilt and, you know, all that their forefathers did as if you know it's the, the sin of the fathers is theirs now to, to carry and I go that can't be that to me is another form of racism you know to oh, I you know, agree. You're, blaming, you're blaming a whole group of people today for what a set of people in the past did yeah. well I also you look know, uh, yeah, I look at my own family history. Uh, when the Civil War broke out, the Allens were, were based, they were living in southeastern Tennessee, which, as you know, is a slave state. Uh, uh-huh. However, my people were ardent abolitionists. And in fact, one of them, uh, one of them, <laughs> there's a long story about that. Uh, but uh, my direct ancestor, my great great grandfather, he and some of his uh, friends who were, who were also pro union and abolitionist, walked on foot dodging rebel patrols, going to the north, and enlisted in the Union Army to, uh, to fight. And then after the war was over, uh, they returned to the, uh, the homestead and uh, had to leave because the, uh, the neighbors were ready to uh, quite literally kill them. And so, you know, we lost everything in that war, too. And it's... Well, and, uh, that's, a, that's another thing. You know, a lot of whites also sacrificed their lives for the abolition of slavery. Mm-hmm. And even during the civil rights movement, there were also a lot of whites that marched with Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, so, absolutely. So, you know, when they start talking about this systemic racism, I go, I know we have racists in our country. You know, they will always be there. Um, but I don't know about this systemic racism. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and another thing that I am very much opposed to is even within my own race, I don't like it when somebody tried to define 
what it means to be black for me. And then now that you have set the standard and say, if I don't live up to these standards that you have set, then maybe I'm not as black as I say I am. Well, you know, it's the color of my skin, but you can't tell me what it means to be black and how a, how a black man should even carry himself mm-hmm. or speak. That, you know, to me, you know, when you try to define black for me, I remember when I went back to New York after seminary, um, my own son was um, was described by some of the parishioners as, oh, you talk white. And he would oh, say, what do you mean? Yeah, he would say, what do you mean I talk white, you know? And, you know, so even among even among blacks, you find that there is this tendency where some blacks try to push racism in the sense of they try to define for you what it means to be black and that you must fit this definition. So, you know, I think there's a, there are those out there who are pushing um, this racism. In fact, I was talking to a lady today. She um, she wants to sell flowers. She's a florist, and so part of her um, advertising was to bring a bouquet of flowers to the church and show me what, what she can do. And we were sitting there talking for a while, and uh, only to find out she was also upset about the the protesting and the rioting and, and all of that. And... Uh, only to find out that she's from Russia. <laughs> so she knew what she was talking Russia. about. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Pastor, we've got to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. Yeah, Stephanie has told me that we, that. yeah, Stephanie's there, you know, and she's telling me we got to take a break right now. Oh, but we got to take a break. Okay. Because okay. I want to hear some more about this, okay? Okay, sure. Okay. of us know what it's like to try out for a team, for a role in the play, or first chair in the band. We might have been chosen first, we might have been chosen last, we might not have been chosen at all, we might have been cut. So how does God choose his team? Dr. Michael Ziegler explains this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Touching the lives and the hearts of our listeners with the Word of Christ. Sharper Iron is such an incredible, amazing gift. I thank you so much for what it's doing for me and what I know it must be doing for a lot of other people. God bless. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, 
and music on KFUO, Christ for You, anytime, anywhere. The Missouri Army National Guard can help you get the education you need to land the career you've always wanted. The Guard will pay up to 100% of your tuition for up to 39 credit hours per academic year at 90 colleges and tech schools across the state. You're eligible as soon as you enlist. Learn more about the many benefits that come with serving part-time in the Missouri Army National Guard. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association in this station. Publishing companies that sell Bibles have reported an increase in purchases, likely connected to concerns over the coronavirus pandemic. Compared to the same month last year, Tyndale House publishers report sales of their Life Application Study Bible are up 44% and sales of the Immerse Bible up 60%. In addition, some of Tyndale's social media engagement has tripled from a year ago. Other notable public engagement with the Bible during the COVID-19 pandemic included an Easter Sunday performance closed to the public but live streamed to 36 million viewers, featuring Andrea Bocelli singing Panis Angelicus or Bread of Angels, a reference to Psalm 78. And each time the media report an act of kindness by, quote, a good Samaritan, they're referencing the well-known parable from the New Testament. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. And my guest today is Pastor Wayne Lawrence of St. Jane Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri. And we are discussing racism. And I have to say, uh, Pastor uh, President Harrison, the head of our Senate, has come down hard. He does not mince words. He says, frankly, that racism is against God, is against the Word of God. And this is what we're talking about. Now, Pastor, you had mentioned uh, uh, you were having this discussion with this Russian lady. How did that go? Yeah, yeah it went well. <laughs> because uh, one of the things she mentioned um, as we talked was um, how on social media she was um, commenting about uh, um the contrast between the protesting and uh the protesting regarding George Floyd and then this uh police officer that was killed in St. Louis David Dorn mhm and uh you know she got some really bad pushback about it and even being called a racist and uh you know, she said, there has got to be something more to what's going on. And she touched on exactly the same thing that I have been thinking for a while. You know, when you're, you know, when, when you're in a fight with someone, you will grab anything that you can find maybe to throw at them. You know, if you find a stick, if you find a stone, whatever it is, you'll throw it. And racism seems to be just one of those sticks in the fight that is being used in the fight. I but think what you're right. Is really, yeah, what is really the fight about? And, uh, you know, I've been thinking that it had to do with this, and she confirmed it. I said, I think what's going on really here is a fight between socialism and capitalism. 
And she said that is exactly what she was thinking being from Russia. Because she said that's how socialism behaves in Russia. You know? Um, yeah. you, you, you can't say anything. If you open your mouth, there's no free speech. If you, if you don't toe the party line, um, you know, they come down on you hard. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, she, yeah, she was noticing that there is this, you know, they want to take away your, your freedom of speech. We also were talking about, um, you know, socialized medicine and things like that. And she go, you want to know what socialized medicine is, in, is like? Go to Russia. And she started to really give me an earful about, you know, what it was like living in Russia. And she said what she sees going on here is uh, what is going on in Russia is trying to take over what is happening in America. Want to take away our freedom that we have. Uh, One thing that's going on with these demonstrations, one thing that's going on with these demonstrations that uh, that bothers me a lot. Now, now people have an absolute right to gather, to protest, to uh, for, to uh, petition government for a redress of grievances, to do it peacefully. They have an absolute right to do that. Now, the looting and the rioting, this is something that I, I separate from the legitimate protest. However, I have noticed that the same people the same government agencies and the same politicians who tell us that we can't go to church because of this virus endorse these mass protests. That yes. bothers me a lot. Yes. Don't you notice a lot of contradictions? Yeah, you just know? a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> social distancing is so crucial. But there was oh, no, yeah. there's no social distancing being observed among the protesters. No, I you drove know? by. Uh, I drove. I drove by a protest in uh, Clayton last week, uh, and there were hundreds of people gathered there, and they were peaceful. I, I will. I have to say that they were peaceful, and they were exercising the First Amendment rights. But a lot of them weren't wearing masks, and none of them were observing the social distancing. Exactly. <laughs> none of them were. Exactly. Now they say we can't go to church, but look at the service of um, George Floyd how big that service was. There were a lot of people Mm -hmm. in that church. And the people that were singing and preaching were not wearing masks either. So you start to see these contradictions, and they're saying, oh, we, you know, in fact, the the last funeral I I did um, of one of our members, I couldn't even have it in the church or at the funeral home. We had to meet at the cemetery, and only the immediate family could be there to do the funeral. Oh, dear. So, you know, a lot of people are doing their funerals with very few people at their graveside and because they're telling us that if we go to church, we are spreading the virus. And then when you look at this funeral service, how big it was, you go, wait a minute, so are these people spreading the virus? You know, the same, yeah. the same. Um, what was she? Is she the governor or... Or the mayor in Minnesota, that uh, lady, that oh yeah, um, the governor. Was, yeah, she's the governor. <laughs> yeah, where she had this draconian lockdown going on, and then you see her with the protesters kneeling, mm-hmm. and some of them weren't even wearing masks. So you start to see these contradictions, and you realize 
is this really about, you know, the virus or is there something else going on? Yeah, and something Russian else going on. Was, and this Russian lady was touching on that. She says, no, this fight is more between socialism and capitalism. And everything else is just a pawn in the fight, whether they're using the virus or whether they're using racism or whether they're going to use impeachment or whether they're going to use Russian and dossier or whatever. These are just all pawns in the fight. Um, so, you know, it makes you also question this systemic racism that they're talking about. Does it really exist or are they just hoping that it exists or are they just trying to convince enough of us that it exists? You know? Yeah. And so... You know, so I, I have trouble um, believing a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing, especially about this systemic racism, uh, because, you know, again, you know, I, I, I think most Americans, both black and white, are very much opposed to racism, both sides. Um, I don't uh -huh. think it's just a one-sided issue. And the, the amount of whites that I have seen protesting alongside blacks, tells me that this can't be accurate no yeah now, I, I i do uh, i will tell you back um in certain portions of my career when i was interviewing for certain broadcast jobs on several occasions i was told to my face that i couldn't be hired because i'm a white male and that's not discrimination <laughs> <laughs> well i thought it was but <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and, and later on, when I was in a management position, again, I received directions on, uh, oh, you can't fire so-and-so. That's a woman. We can't get rid of her, even though she's, well, never mind. <laughs> I won't go into personal yeah, details so on that one. But, uh, but yeah, and you know, discrimination is discrimination. Now, I know that the, right. uh, there, there was a the school of thought out there that uh, says that only whites can be racists. And uh, <laughs> to me, that, and that's just not, intellectually dishonest. It, it, right. That is just not true. That is just not true. Um, I've heard that, too. You know, oh, well, you know, you're black, so you can't be a racist. Well, uh -huh. I am not, but, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to be. But, you know, to say that uh, that only one group of people can be racist or what they call white privilege. I go, wait mm -hmm. a minute. We live in this land of opportunity where, you know, um, you get opportunities and if you use your potential and your opportunities, it doesn't matter what, what color you are, you can get very far. And if you look at how many blacks have made it in America, you know, um, because of their potential also. Ben Carson. Uh, uh... Yeah, right. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, Ben. Ben Carson is a newer surgeon, and it's not like uh -huh. he. It's not like he grew up in wealth. You know, no. um, he, he, when you t hear him talk about uh, um, his mother and how she made sure that he, you know, would read books and mm -hmm. write um, reports, you go, and he says it took him a while to figure out that she herself couldn't read. Um, oh, so pictures. you know, people with you know, if we use our potential and our opportunities, we can get very far. Now, here's one thing that I think is, um, is really 
accurate about the whole picture. And, you know, not only whites have been saying this, but even a lot of uh, blacks have been saying this, that what sometimes has happened in our community is this breakdown of the family. Oh, absolutely. And because there is this breakdown of the family, um, it has led to a lot of um, a lot of African Americans not doing as well as they could. Um, you know, they said, you know, they compare um, how many blacks were born within wedlock in the past, even in Martin Luther King Day and before. Many blacks mm-hmm. were still born within wedlock, and when they compare it to now. Some even have it up to about 75% of blacks are coming from single-parent homes. That's what I've heard, too. And don't forget uh, the uh, the uh, abortion issue, where, where black exactly. women are aborting way over, way over and above their numbers. Yes, yes. In fact, um, I don't know if you know this, know this, um, this gentleman. His name is Larry Elders. Yes, and he yes, was talking with someone about racism. And he says, um, between the black and black crime and abortion, that kill way more blacks than any police officer, than any police, than the police, than police kill. Um, not that we would excuse the killing of anyone. Um, you know, the cops are there to protect us. They are there to arrest if need be. Their job is not to kill, um, to avoid killing if if they can, unless. You know, they just have no choice. Um, but uh, when you compare how many Africans-Americans that have been killed by cops as opposed to African-Americans who have killed, who have been killed by other African-Americans and who have been killed by abortion, um, that number is just way bigger. Um, so there much, is something so. wrong out there. But to to speak of this systemic racism, I go, no, I don't think that that's accurate. I don't think it's accurate anymore because I think most Americans today um, are opposed to racism on both sides. I I think that's correct. Um, I I, I see it almost as a power struggle, you know, like your Russian lady uh, was saying. Uh, People are using the uh, calling the race card that you sometimes I you sometimes hear it uh, called. Uh, Oh, yeah. Well, well, I don't have to listen to your argument. You're a racist. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah, so it, it's, it's, a, it's just a matter of weaponizing whatever you can weaponize in your fight. But what is the fight really about? You know, they, they would, may weaponize the IRS to go after conservatives. That's using oh, yeah. the IRS as a weapon, you know. Um, you may weaponize the intelligent department to go after your political opponent. That's weaponizing something in the fight, you know. Um, I, you know, you, you keep hearing that you know our president, President Trump, is a racist, and I said, well, how do you know he's a racist? He said because he made racist remark, and I go, well, if making racist um, remark is, is is makes you a racist, then boy, how many of us can, how many of us could be charged with racism? You know, it's not like the Democrats have never made racist remarks. Oh, Biden's you made know? a few of them. Uh, he's made quite a few. <laughs> so, so if making a racist remark makes you a racist, 
then both candidates, both the, the president and, uh, and and the candidate for the Democrats, you could call them both racist then. But why you call one a racist and you don't call the other one a racist? So, you know, I, I, you know, it's again, it's it's what do you want to weaponize and who you want to use that weapon against? You know, there, it, it, the whole thing is dishonest. There's a dishonest. Yeah, oh, I like that. that um, yeah, there's a bias, a strong bias. I would call it dishonest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is uh, that is that is going on in our society. That you, you know, you you can't even trust the media anymore. Oh, definitely not. I mean, I was, <laughs> you know, you know, I you know, I was trained as a journalist. That's what I did all my life. Um, and you may have felt. You may have noticed that there there was a controversy recently at the New York Times where Senator Cotton published an op-ed, and uh, a bunch of people at the Times, reporters at the Times, complained about it, got the editorial page editor fired, and had the uh, paper actually apologize for for putting yeah. his. Uh, he, now, Cotton, you. You may or may not agree with what he said. Frankly, I don't agree with a lot of what he said. But darn it, the guy's a United States senator. He is elected by the people. He has said something that needs to be heard. Why on yeah. earth would journalists try to silence, a, especially with an op-ed, where that's what, that's what the op-ed is for, is to present right. an right. input you opposite of the editorial stance. what he said? Yeah, he was talking about using the military to uh, to uh, quash uh, to quash some of the riots using the uh, using federal troops. I think he even used the uh, phrase uh, uh, "give them no quarter." And you know, I, I've got a real problem when military is being used in a law enforcement stand. It has to be done sometimes. I understand that, yeah. uh, but it's got to be proven. And you know. That's why we have a National Guard rather than federal troops uh, intervening so, so much. But it has been done in the past. Uh, yeah, Eisenhower, for yeah. example, used federal troops to integrate schools in, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Right. So, right. Yeah. And yeah, but the, the thing is, if you, you know, and I think, you know, there's a kind of desperation on the part of, um, on the, part of the president and maybe someone like um, Tom Cotton. Because when they look at some governors and the fact that um, they're not doing anything, mm -hmm. they are just allowing this to happen. It's like, wait a minute, we can't just sit back and let part of a city, I think it was it in, in um, Seattle, Washington, yes, where yeah. now they've taken over a part of the city and uh, even took over the, the police department and say, you know, we're going to just abolish um, um, we, we're pushing for the to abolish um, all you know the the police force, and you go wait a minute. Can the government just sit back and let um, these people do this? Yeah, you know. And I think there's a kind of a desperation out there to say we've got to stop the anarchy. We've got to stop the rioting. Um, peaceful mm -hmm. protesting is one thing, but rioting and anarchy and you know, taking over um, areas or certain things, and then making your demands, and the way they are, the way they are doing it, it leads to a kind of desperation too to say we can't let them do this. Um, and in fact, I mean, I, the I, mayor yeah. of um, the mayor of Seattle actually called those people patriots. <laughs> Excuse <Right>. me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it was the mayor in Baltimore that said we need to give them room and time to express themselves or vent to, to their run, anger. Yeah. And you go, wait a second, you know, there's one thing to protest and there's another thing to to riot and destroy businesses. You see, now that's another thing I would say hurt the black community. Because when they, when you tear up the, your community and you, t- you destroy all these businesses, it's a little hard for people to rebuild businesses in those communities. Because what is it going to cost to insure it? You know, and then they would say, oh, um, they don't put these businesses in our neighborhood. Well, it costs more to insure it to put it in certain neighborhoods. Actually, um, not even so, sure insurance covers civil, covers, uh, civil disorder. So, you know, so I don't think we're, you know, even Martin Luther King Jr. Um, had said that, you know, the, this kind of rioting is um, is counterproductive. It works against the what you're really fighting for. So, yeah, I, you know, I I can understand the I can understand the upsetment with uh, with the rioting and. Uh, the desperate, the desperation to want to squash it and and put it down, um, because especially when the local again. authorities are let, are letting it happen. Or they have been handcuffed, told to stand down. You know, if they have been handcuffed and are told to stand down and they can't do anything, then somebody's got to do something. Yeah, it's, this is a tough time. This is is a time to pray, man. (laughs) It really is. It really is. And yeah, we're living in difficult times. We do. We do. And uh, again, I think President Harrison certainly has recognized this. Uh, And again, I'm going to quote from him again. Boy, I tell you, this this statement of his is, is wonderful. It says, we deplore injustice. We deplore, we deplore destruction, robbery, and doing physical harms to others. That, too, is injustice. You know, people have, yeah. are losing their livelihoods from that. I've heard you know, some people on, on one side of the argument say, well, it's just property they can rebuild. Excuse me? <laughs> so, yeah. That may or may yeah. not be true. And even if it right. is true, so what? Right. Right. That's what the Russian lady was telling me that, um, you know, she have our florist and uh, somebody was accusing her of putting her business before human life. Oh, yeah, and it's like, no, that's not what she's doing. Um, that's what Planned Parenthood and does. And the, and the destruction of her business when she did nothing to anybody. How is she putting that before human life? I, I don't see the connection. There is something, and I think President Harrison mentioned that, that there's something irrational about this whole thing. I think he used oh, yeah. the term irrational. And yeah, the rioters are clearly irrational here. When they are overcome by their emotions, when they are so emotionally driven, reason gets thrown out the window. You know, things don't have to make sense anymore. And, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is heart-rending. It is heart-rending. Well, Pastor, speaking as a, as a black pastor to a largely white audience, what can we do to 
reconcile this issue? What can we do to reconcile this issue? Yeah. I would How say the we, first uh, thing. I would say the first thing is to not believe the lie that is being told. That's the first thing because what is being told us is just not true. I think, again, talking about systemic racism, that's not true. It's that's a lie that is being told. So we first have to have to stop believing the lie. And I think as we stand side by side in issues, when we are when we are black and white, again, like the peaceful protesters who are protesting the unjust killing of um, George George Floyd, again, that is a testimony to how far we have come in race relations. When black and white together can protest injustice, um, we are a living testimony to, to, to the fact that we've come a long way. Racism is on its way out. It's old. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, we condemn it. It shows that both of us, both white and black, are very much opposed to racism. I think we demonstrate that every time we protest injustice together. Um, that's one way of, of, um, of, of um, bearing witness to the fact that we are not a racist country, because we are not. Racism exists, but we're not a racist country. Absolutely. Pastor, we're coming up to the last hour, <clears throat> hour, right, last minute. This was the hour. <laughs> Any final thought or perhaps a final prayer before we sign out? Yes, I think we should pray for our country. I think we should pray uh, for our president and what's going on. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, because, oh, Lord, before we call you answered, and while we are speaking, you hear us. Hear us, O oh Lord, in this time of upheaval, this time of difficulty. Hear us, O oh Lord, on behalf of the George Floyd family, that, O oh Lord, you would comfort them in this time of grief. We ask you, O oh Lord, that you would give our president the calm strength that he needs. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would all look to you for the peace, that you have given to us when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile the world to yourself and to give us a peace that the world cannot give. May the peace we have with you, O oh Lord, that we reach out to others with that peace and that we would communicate peace to the rest of our country and the rest of this world. We pray this, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for appearing on the program, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Let's Talk, The Pastor's In. I'm program host Kip Allen. Have a good day. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in 
on Worldwide KFUO.